I was found myself in 10 years of just ridiculous adversity, big stuff, fires, floods, riots, earthquake, a tsunami, September 11th, a lawsuit. And at every turn, somebody just stood there with a frying pan hitting me over the head. And I just could not for the life of me get ahead. Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day, and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Beate Chalette. Beate is growth architect and founder of the Woman's Code. She creates strategies, designs, process maps, and blueprints for visionaries and leaders who want to maximize their profits and scale their impact. A first-generation immigrant who found herself $135,000 in debt as a single parent bootstrapped her passion for photography into a highly successful global business and eventually sold it to Bill Gates in a multi-million dollar deal. Beate is one of 100 top global thought leaders in 2021 by PeopleHum and one of 50 must-follow women entrepreneurs by HuffPost. She's the author of the number one international award-winning Amazon bestseller, Happy Woman, Happy World. How to Go from Overwhelmed to Awesome, a book that corporate trainer and best-selling author Brian Tracy calls a handbook for every woman who wants health, success, and a fulfilling career. Recent clients include Amazon, Chevron, Los Angeles Philharmonic, Johnson & Johnson, Merrick, the Women's Legislative Caucus of California, California State University, Dominguez Hills, the Greater Los Angeles Realtor Association, advertising agency Tracy Locke, and thousands of small businesses. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Beate. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. Thank you, Dwight. I was looking forward to this. It's been it's been in the in the planning for some time. We oh, finally couple, made it. Couple, couple, couple months. Couple months. Um, I know. Those, what do they say? All good things take time. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, and and I keep on looking at my schedule, and I get people adding in. Obviously, between the gaps since we last talked a couple a few months ago now, and you know, I think to myself, oh, I can't wait till that show comes because I had so much fun on your show. For the people listening or watching, um, I was on her show as well and it was amazing um we just have a chemistry it's really good we, we, so we certainly we certainly do yes yeah so i look forward to this obviously you've been on so many different shows before um 
but I'm excited you're on mine. The rest don't matter. Now only this one matters. What other shows? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Your episode, like I said, I believe I'm pretty sure I'm right. Your episode number 164. Um, for those listening, I had my three-year anniversary this week and it's been a blast. And I've met some really, really cool people and you're definitely one of them. So thank, thank you, you so much for coming on. So Beate, please tell me your origin story. One of the things I focus on is a person's origin story and, and their vulnerability of your earliest recollections of how it shaped your life. Because I know as an immigrant, there, you, there has to be some stories that shaped your life incredibly as a young child, all the way up to where you are now. And, you know, share whatever you feel comfortable with. But I'd love to hear maybe one of those stories that you've never told before. <laughs> Well, I mean, the story really is that I always been like the, the the girl that didn't quite fit in, or at least that's what I felt like. And I don't think that's a story a lot of people tell because there's just, you know, these these ways. And, you know, I grew up in Germany where things are in a very particular way. And I had troubles with that. I remember confronting my priest about, you know, and I grew up Catholic about why babies that were baptized would go to heaven and babies that didn't were baptized would go to hell and he didn't have a good answer. And, you know, and I, I we had to have a heart to heart conversation about that topic. And I started selling posters out of my bedroom when I was 12 years old because I couldn't afford to buy posters of beautiful landscapes and cool things. And so I figured if I was a poster reseller, then I would get depending on the volume that I did, I would get free posters for myself. And sometimes Dwight, sometimes they sent me extra posters and then I could make an actual profit. So wow. uh, yeah, I mean, that was really, 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 really good. So that's how I first kind of got into this whole thing. But I've not been the smart kid. At least that's what I was told. And my brother, you know, in Germany, there's three different school systems. And I, my brother and my sister were in the higher one. I was in the middle one. And then there's a, a lower one. And the way Germany kind of does that is the higher one is for the people that's supposed to become executives. The one in the middle is for people that do the support services and managers. And the one in the lower one, the people that are on the streets out doing the, the hard physical, physical labor. That's what they, you know, intended this to be, which is, if you think about it, really not a smart, not a dumb, dumb way to do things. So I'm in this middle system, middle school system, and I, you know, and, and I graduate when I am 17. So now we go through these aptitude tests in Germany and everything in Germany, Dwight, as you can imagine, is always like very serious. You know, we have to do it a certain way, 16 pages, fill it out. You know, what's your aptitude? Do you like being outside? Yes, I do. do you, are you afraid of heights? No, I'm not. Do you mind, you know, carrying physical stuff? No, I don't. On and on and on and on and on it goes. And after 16 pages of that, Dwight, what do you think this aptitude test said to me that I should be? Think think like something uh, completely. Um, Something completely weird? I don't know. Mm -hmm. A lab technician. I don't know. Roofer. A, a roofer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess when you said think outside the box, my box was kind of small because holy a roofer. A roofer. That, that is unbelievable. Like, so when it's when it said roofer, then I looked at her and I said to her, I have absolutely no desire to be a roofer. And, you know, I mean, she politely enough, she agreed with me. And then she says, well, what do you want to be? I said, well, I want to be a jewelry designer. She says, 
too many applicants, not enough jobs. I said, well, then I want to be a textile designer. She says, too many applicants, not enough jobs. I wow, said, so encouraging. Yeah, I said, I want to be a <laughs> photographer. And what do you think her answer was for that? The same thing. <laughs> exact same thing. So I looked at her and I said, you're not helping. I mean, uh, I know what I want. And she says, well, what about a secretary? I said, secretary, where, where in all of this are you hearing secretary? And I knew at that time now that this idea of what other people had of what I should be become or what was possible for me wasn't, wasn't within my realm of possibilities. It just wasn't for me. And then there's this moment, you know, I became a photographer anyway, was the youngest to ever be admitted to the Institute of Photo Design in Munich. And then I worked as a photography assistant learning, you know, the business of photography. And there's this moment where my job was to bring an Audi Quattro on a helicopter onto a glacier for a photo shoot. And so this moment where this helicopter comes, Dwight, and first you hear that and you see, you know, I mean, it, it comes up because the mountain comes up right in front of your face and there's a helicopter and then there you see the string and on, it's like a James Bond movie, right? And there's the helicopter at the bottom and it's being delivered to the mountain. And I'm, I'm remember thinking, I am outside. I am not afraid of heights. And I've definitely been schlepping all day. I did exactly <laughs> what the aptitude test said. It just wasn't the right interpretation. That's how it all started. Wow. That is. So you got to that point. And, you know, one of the things I, I didn't put in my questions since, since we talked about it. So you started this, you started young, you got accepted to this school in Munich and you develop this career in photography. And then years later, you know, during the, during, you know, tough times during the recession, you managed to sell your business to Bill Gates. What was that all about? Because, you know, actually, I, I don't know why I didn't put that in, but this is a perfect opportunity to ask. So you sold your photography business. Was it first and foremost, was it a passion for you or did it start out a passion and then just become like you schlepping, like you were saying, you're just going to work, go home, go get paid. And then decided one day, hey, you know, here, Bill Gates, buy my business. Um, the story is yes and no. So I, I realized very quickly that I was better at the business naturally than at the art. I also realized very early because, as you said, I was so young. I was 17 when I went to school. So I was 19 when I graduated. It is very difficult to have a distinct style when you're 19. And I recognized that as a creative, you kind of have a double whammy because you have to learn the business that you became a creative to try to avoid, but you have to be a good creative for you to be in demand. So I realized that it would take years to become a really good creative. And I, I naturally liked the business side. And then I became photo editor at Elle magazine because then I got to work with photographers, but then I, you know, and I, I was able to build those systems and I was startup team for L. And that bored me because I was in the fashion industry. And I felt that the fashion industry is, for the most part, at least back at the day, it's everything that you think it is. And it was not pleasant. 
So I then, that coincided with my father getting fired. And my father was a CEO of a dairy company, a mid-size, mid-size dairy company. And I recognized that the reason he got fired was he because he because he comes across as an arrogant and full of himself, but he was very good at what he did. So the board of directors was trying to teach him a lesson and then suddenly had a majority vote to get rid of him. They had no plan. They had no, they had nobody that was going to be in even interim pre president, nothing. They had nothing. They just wanted to teach him a lesson. And then suddenly the vote was in and that was it. And I looked at my dad, I looked at myself and I said, I have a very powerful position at Elle Magazine. People will do anything for me because of the position I hold, not because of the person that I am. And then I quit. And I left and immigrated to the United States. First, I wanted to go do the year abroad, and then I, I ended up immigrating. That also coincided, and this is the part of the story I don't really tell a lot of people, because that really never comes up but you have a way to ask questions is that it also coincided with my mother finally saying that she was proud of me and everything I had done before that she tried to hide. But when I was photo edited at L magazine, suddenly that magazine made it to the coffee table because that now in my mother's eye finally became desirable. And that's when I knew that with that, and that's all I wanted when I was a child to be acknowledged by my mother. I have a, had a very difficult, very contentious, very dangerous relationship with my mother. And uh, when she, when she put that L magazine on the coffee table, I'm like, that's it. I'm leaving. Now I can figure out who I am, not in opposition of her or not to prove anything to her, but to become who I meant to be. And that's when I immigrated. So it took, kind of took the blinders off of where you wanted to be. Yeah, I can totally relate with what you just said. For me, it wasn't my um, mom, it was my dad. And I never heard my dad say he was proud of me until I was in my early 50s. And it was in print. It wasn't even verbal. He put something when my book came out. And, you know, the odd time to listen to the podcast. So if you're listening to this, dad, thank you for that. <laughs> it meant a lot. Um, he posted... When when the publisher put out about the fact that it had become an Amazon bestseller, he posted that he was proud of me. And though it wasn't verbally, I don't think he's ever, I, I honestly can't recall him ever verbally saying it to me since then. It was in print. And it's never going to go away. It's there forever. I screenshotted it immediately because I thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I did. I screenshotted it's in, it's in your it. treasure chest, your adult treasure chest. It, it was, you know. <laughs> But the power that we have over our children, even oh my, my God, children. yeah. Well, I mean, let me let, let me just make sure my sure. mother did not say I'm proud of you. It's just that the magazine was on the coffee table. That well, signaled it, that. So it was under, it was an un, it was nonverbal, but it's still yeah. it's still yeah, yeah. recognition. Absolutely. And so you know, I actually challenged my dad on that. I said, you know, you've never. I have so. And my mom's no, you haven't. <laughs> right. So 
you know, there was contentious, you know what? And it took me until like, even when the talk I did yesterday, I was talking about the fact they want to, they're asking stuff for me to talk a little bit, you know, be vulnerable origin. Like I like focusing on. And I said the same sort of thing. Like I didn't realize until I was in my thirties, how much I learned from my dad, because I was so angst about him. Right. I was always trying to please him. I was always living that facade. Like I said, you know, you took your blinders down and decided, okay, goodbye, Al magazines. It's time for me to discover who I am. Right. So I completely, I, I love this. You know, who put this in perspective for me is Tony Robbins. So yeah. there's a Netflix documentary called I'm Not Your Guru. I don't know if it's still up. And I really had not heard Tony speak or been to any of his events, but this one night I did. And I will say that he's just a master. I mean, he he deserves all the accolades that he gets. I mean, he's brilliant. But there's this one moment where he says, I thank my mother for everything. And I stopped. And his mother, you know, this the story of, I mean, his mother is, I mean, in everybody's book, you know, she was, she was a horrible, horrible, horrible mother, I mistreated him terribly. But he says, I thank her for everything because if I am where I am today, the fire that got me here is because and despite. So if we are looking at this from a different perspective and I, I shift that narrative and I reframe that and I said, yes, my mother drove me to a suicide attempt. But look where I am now. Look how many people I help. Look how I channel that into, into being an impact-driven person, a purposeful, impact-driven person, wanting to help other people. And people come sometimes, you know, I was in Boston, a woman flies across the room, throws herself into my arms. She says, you have no idea who I am, but I spent three days with you and I love you. You changed my life because she listened to a program that I did. And these things happen. So my mother doesn't have that. My mother has no friends. My mother lives by herself, you know, fighting for another day and another day and another day. There is no communication. There's no, there's no, I mean, she just doesn't have that. Look at how rich my life is. So today I have an easier time to thank her for everything. And I think it's really important. I don't know why we talk about this in, on, on this episode so much, but maybe there's a lot of people that need to hear this. The thanking for everything is a really good spiritual practice because it, you can either declare defeat and it's all the reason excuses why you are where you are, or you take the drive and then you turn that drive into something that brings you and other people good and happiness. hundred percent, you know, and why does this stuff come up? Because I still believe 164 episodes in that our origin and who we are as people and the more we share it, the closer the connection that happens between two individuals and then the listeners as well feel that. And the more people understand that we're human, we've we've made mistakes. Even my dad, when I had that realization of how much I learned about him, and I think the biggest realization for me and thanking him was in my book because he taught me a ton, but I resisted it. I resisted it. And whether or not it was good some of the things that happened between him and I growing up and into adulthood or bad, 
I had to peel apart, peel back all the garbage and look for the, and have that heart of gratitude and that gratefulness so that I could continue to climb and be the version of who I wanted to be. Him, the workaholic, I started being that workaholic, separated myself from that and realized these are my core values. This is what I want. And I, and shut out all that noise of all the people out there that say, this is the committee of A telling me how I should live my life. Right. So, you know, good for you. So you let's pass on to that then, because I, I I love the origin story, right? We can, the question. still haven't talked about Bill Gates though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go back to Bill Gates. <laughs> we should so, finish so, that. so the, the story really is that I, you know, after that, I became a photographer representative, a producer. Then I was found myself in 10 years of just ridiculous adversity, big stuff, fires, floods, riots, earthquake, a tsunami, September 11th, a lawsuit. And at every turn, somebody just stood there with a frying pan hitting me over the head. And I just could not for the life of me get ahead. And here I am now going through a divorce uh, with an from an alcoholic and a pathological liar with a small child in a city that's not my own in a country that's not my own with nobody. It was just me and my baby. And eventually I had to figure it out. And that's when I came up with a stock photography syndication idea, which was everything that I've ever done with whipped cream on top of it. But I was $135,000 and then I was going to make it because I was broke. I was completely out cold. But I had set this up with a purpose of selling the business because I've been thrown out of my house. I've been, you know, I've, I've been betrayed. I've been lied to. I've been stolen from. So I wanted to make sure that when when the day came that I knew what my number was and I knew that I was going to exit. And after all of that, and then finally, finally, I arrive. And then when the number was mentioned, the day just came. That's it. Okay, I made so, the decision and the day came. So how long of the period of time was that though? 13 years. So and the reason I bring that up and ask that question is because there's so many people that don't understand and they always have that. Oh, you're so lucky. You're so this, you're so that, you know, you're an overnight success. Yeah. 13 years right? People don't realize, like you talked about the fact you went through, you know, divorce, there was, I believe you mentioned bankruptcy, even prior to that, you talked about you mentioned in a comment, um, suicide and stuff like, come on, people, you know, quit, quit putting people on a pedestal and not realizing that their life that you're seeing is the facade you choose to see not even what they represent, right? So, they go through their adversities, their trials and tribulations, and tenacity is obviously something that you grasp onto, right? You're a tenacious person, or you wouldn't have made it all that way. $135,000 in debt, young kid, abusive spouse, and, and now look where you are today. Like, I highly encourage those that are listening or watching, go check this lady out. She is absolutely amazing what she's accomplished through her lifetime and what she's still accomplishing. She hasn't rested on her laurels. She's not camped like many of us can be. She's on the climb, right? So listen to that first part again, check her out. And now we're going to continue on with this fabulous conversation. Did you ever personally, as a, as a side note, meet Bill Gates? No, I have never met him. I, however, have been told that he personally approved the purchase, the acquisition. 
that he, uh, because it was a company he privately held. It was not Microsoft. It was a privately held company by him. Oh, I see. Yeah, he's, <laughs> I don't know why he's come up so much in the last couple of days, but he was, he came up yesterday on this, on that uh, virtual conference that I was on. And, and I specifically brought him up in my talk because people either like or hate the man you know, but um, him and Melinda, even though they're no longer together, they did something a lot of wealthy people don't do. They've tried to make a difference, whether or not we think it's enough or it's just them trying to showboat. At least they're doing something, right? They're they're out there trying to, like, he's still working on his waterless toilet for third world countries. And he's he's uh, invested hundreds of millions of dollars and both have with their foundation to, to po- combat disease. And I and I invested in that myself 20 some years ago because I thought it was such a good principle and factor to help people out. So at the end of the day, you know, the only reason I want to know if you met him or not is because I've talked to people that have met him and everybody seems to have a different we all see everything through a different lens, don't we? <laughs> right. So it's it's good though that you had that opportunity to sell your business. And from that moving forward, you've accomplished a lot. You've developed a business, you've written a book, like more than one business, actually, from what I was reading, right? So are you are you the type of person that's going to be on the climb forever? Are you going to, are you Oh my God, of- this is like the question that is like tormenting me right now is I think this is, this is the, this is the big issue. When is enough enough? Is it about enough? These are like, these are literally the philosophical questions, Dwight, that I'm asking myself. So my daughter had a baby. So I have a grandchild. She's three months old. I was a working mother. I had to work because my ex-husband didn't give me any money. He didn't have any money. If I wanted to eat, I had to make money. So the option wasn't, could I? The option was, I had to. Now that was my choice to marry this man. There was nobody out there that said to me, you have to marry this man. That, That was a choice I made by myself with the consequences that this decision came with. But I think... At this moment in time, specifically where we are in this world, these questions really do arise. As we get older, and we all do, and um, uh, Mark Manson in his book, The Art of Not Giving a Bleep, says, if we were to hypothetically say we all had a guaranteed outcome, just hypothetically speaking, we all knew that we would die, if we knew that. How would we prepare the path to get to the exit, to exit in a way we want it. And I thought, this is such a good point to say that we look at this and we try not to think about it. And we try to, I mean, my mother, 88. I mean, every day she just fights to ignore the fact on what this exit is going to look like, no matter on whether it's easy or difficult. And I'm looking at this and I think, this is not how I want to go. I want to go I'm going to say this out loud. I want people to throw a global party, party, party. I want people to dance, to share stories, to talk about the impact, what they heard, what, how they're going to pay it forward. That's what I, that's the legacy I want to leave. That's awesome. Because, you know, 10 years after I'm dead, nobody gives a shit really, because I mean, who, who will remember? Well, so, even people that have books and stuff think they're going to be remembered forever. No, we're not. I mean, because somebody else is going to take what we wrote 
and and rename the women's code to the girl code and everybody's <laughs> going to act like this is the most amazing thing they've ever read and then if you compare them it's like two-thirds of the stuff i wrote about you know like look at alex hermosi you know people go yeah. like, oh my god alex hermosi is the br- most brilliant guy and i'm like dude this is shit i listened to 40 years ago he's re- regurgitating re- like most all of it I know. I don't, I'm not, I don't listen to him personally. And I have friends that fan fanboy over him. I call them women oh and my, men. I mean, fanboy over him. They literally, which is okay, which is okay. And that's that, their choice. Uh, but, but, but that's what I'm saying. It's like there's no new information. It's just another guy who's, fi- who's listening to information that somebody else has said gives it their own spin and then moves forward. So the question then that if you look at this really realistically and say, what am I here to do? And for somebody, um, and I'm turning 60 next year, which is in itself a really weird thought. So now I'm a grandmother. So what am I now, the grandmother of business? Should I even be doing this? Should I, am I poorly aging feminist that's just trying hard to be relevant? Because that's what media makes me. That's what the algorithms are serving me to. Or can I find an inflection point what am what am i actually trying to do here's what i'm trying to do and i'm not trying to i'm doing it is that i want to really define this idea of can someone like me like what ruth bader ginsburg did and she literally is one of the few women who's mastered this generation after generation after generation remaining relevant. There's very few people that can very, that the women, you can count the women on one hand that had that ability to stay relevant for generation after generation after generation. But I know it exists. So no, it's possible. So if it's possible, then it must be possible for me. If it's possible for me, then the question is, how can I? But I want to share what I've learned all of it, not just the social media highlights, not just the reels, but the real story, what it's like to be a person, a working mother, an immigrant, against all odds, fighting without knowing on whether or not I can, recognizing there were spiritual principles at work that now I see looking back, but not while I was in it. And then help give people shortcuts so that more, I want to, it's almost like I have this, this, this internal drive, Dwight, Dwight, where, where I feel like I'm being pushed to just like share, 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 share. And I'm like, I am going to need to rest at some point because I'm, I'm just physically recognizing there are certain limitations. I have a grandchild. I, I need time for myself, but there's just something about this moment in time where I feel such an, such a push, such a drive. And I don't know, is it my my ego that drives me? Or is it spirit that drives me? But I feel the drive. I, I know I need to get something out as quickly as I possibly can. I don't know if that answers the question if this was a whole big, big, no, big, big convoluted great. mess. But but it's it that that's where I'm at right now. It's like WTF. Yeah. No, none of it's convoluted. It's it's you. Yeah. It's, 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 you're sharing your, your, your thoughts and verbalizing them. They're not just thought they, when they go from thoughts to being shared verbally, the world gets to know you a little bit more. And 
there could be one person, as you mentioned earlier, that's listening to this, that's they really needed to hear it. As you mentioned, this may not be the direction you thought this would go or I thought it would go, but does it really matter? Look at that woman that ran up to you and hugged you, right? That feeling. You wouldn't have shared the story if it didn't resonate with you. Oh, and, my God. And, and you know, whether or not you're going to be 60 or not, how many more women can you help or men, right? You've you've made a difference for me already. And, you know, we've only communicated. It's now being our second, well, third time because we had that first discovery call. Okay. But, you know, it's, you have a purpose. And I don't think it has to do with vanity or the fact of, ego or because again there can be good and bad ego i think it is spirit driven just how how your ability to share stories and your kindness comes across and your stick to again i honestly believe tenacity is a superpower which you have and many of us do that have the ability i tell people when they ask me that question i'm till the day i take my last breath yes at a pace as you mentioned we have to pace ourselves because we start realizing are we taking enough time for ourselves I've got a new grandbaby. Am I taking time to create those memories, to work on my living legacy? There's so many great questions. And you know what? It's good you're asking yourself any of that. Because how many of, I bet you 95% of the society just never reflects on their lives. They just are on that hamster wheel that I always talk to people about. So good on you for thinking about it. And thank you for sharing. I actually like what you just said. I, I want to spend like a minute on that, the pace. Sure. Because now, as you said that, that really stuck with me because if you really think about this, if I trust spirit, God, universe, energy, then I do need to trust the path. And I do need to trust that this can be done in a way that fills my cup as well. So it doesn't mean that I have to deplete my cup to fill other people's cup, that I need to figure out what the vessel is that fills everybody's cup. And I think we forget that. So that was just, you know, the big reminder, as you just said that I was like, oh, the pace, you need to pay attention to the pace in which you're doing it. No, I do all the time. I used to be that person, you know, years ago, everything had to be so structured, this, you know, work this, 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 oh, no, sorry, I can't do this because I have this planned. Now it's the type of thing, if my daughter, my one daughter that has a few of my grandkids reaches out to me and says, Dad, what are you doing? Let's say, you know, today's Tuesday. She says, Dad, what are you doing Thursday at this time? She'll text me, right? Or if it's, you know, she'll call me depending on the time of the day. She knows there's a certain window where we, she can talk to me and I'll look at my schedule and go, you know what? I can reschedule that. Sure, I'll come hang out with you and the grandkids. Oh, you need, you have this going out and you can't figure out how to do these two things. You need one kid picked up. Great. And, you know, it's just, it's those memories like last Wednesday. And again, for those that aren't, you know, faith bearing and Christian like I am, that's fine. You do whatever makes you happy. But this, there's a message that I want to share. Last Wednesday, my I picked my grandson up, and my grandson is going through confirmation. I'm a Catholic. I'm a practicing Catholic. I I, I treat my faith like a buffet. I've talked about that before. My listeners know. I, there's things I don't enjoy about it, but there's things I do. 
Well, I'm taking him as his confirmation sponsor and I take him and he's, he leans over to me and he says, Papa. And I go, what Caden? He goes, you know, what's the most exciting thing about going through confirmation is it's not the confirmation. It's being with you. It's oh. hanging out with you. Oh, it's connecting you with you. Oh, pff. I, I, I just, I'm I getting to, all emotional. <laughs> I had to hold it together. And then, and then he's a little jokester. He's like me. Cause I got a, a good sense of humor and I tease him all the time. And then he, and then he elbows me a little bit and he's a smaller kid. He's <laughs> he just turned, he's going to turn 11 in a couple of weeks. He elbows me a bit and he says, and I like the fact you take me out for food, Papa. <laughs> 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 and then he started laughing and I just like, so he went from being very, you know, touching to, make me laugh too goofy yeah yeah it's just it was just you know what i mean at the end of the day that pace that i mentioned and you mentioned is so important we are given one shot at life and time we can't buy more of and that's why i put so much effort into my podcast maybe everybody does but i i really want to take it serious and ask those questions and if i don't get to certain questions i don't care if we can have this heart to heart conversation sometimes as you mentioned that helps people more than anything else yes you want to share your information okay i've done it with many people over the last 3 years i've had a, a second part because the first part has just been full of this kind of conversation and there's nothing wrong with that people sometimes need that i needed that i needed you today so it, i didn't even realize it until it happened and slow the pace down at the podcast there's nothing wrong with that slow the pace down to spend time with my grandkids take my grandson take off every single wednesday every other wednesday part of me to go to take him to his confirmation class and have him tell that to me it just cements the fact that the pace of life that i've chose to live with my core values if I passed away and I'm on my deathbed, I'm not going to be, oh gosh, I wish I did it. one more appointment with a client. Oh gosh, I wish I I did this. No, I'm going to be like, take me, Lord. Thank you. I've had a great life. You know, yes, there's been trials and tribulations, but there's been more highs and there's been lows. And it's because I've stayed grounded and reflected and focused and kept that pace, right? So, and and anybody listening, don't think it's easy. I have to refocus and, and recheck myself all the time. Every yeah, I was day. just thinking about this. Like, imagine there was a Wall Street cemetery and it would say, here lies a great stockbroker. His specialty was technology. Uh, here is here's the best insurance broker. Uh, his clients loved the money he saved them. Here is the here is the best um he is the best uh, Deloitte business consultant. He he successfully laid off thousands of people without ever affecting the bottom line. Yes. No tombstone <laughs> says that ever. Yeah, no. Wow, that just I felt I felt a, a tinge when you were saying that because it is so true. I, I want to. Here, here lies a beloved father. Yeah, that's a what great I want. Husband. Here, here, here lies a great. Yeah, here, here lies a great papa. That's what I want. Right, I want my grandkids to, you know, remember me and my book. We talked about it. I wrote my book for my family, right? Because there's there's different things I'm looking at, different business ideas to help people capture and and make sure they have their family's origin. And I'm hoping to start it in 2024 as a side venture, not to 
will it make money? I think it will, but that's not the point of doing it. It's the point of capturing all those little things that, you know, I, I look at and try to think about my grandpa. What do I know about him? He's passed away a long time ago or my great grandpa, right? There's nothing. There's the odd black and white photo. There's the odd little snippet, you know, or people will tell you stories if they even remember stories anymore, because they're now all, you know, in their seventies and into their late eighties, nineties of my dad's family and mom's. So, you know, it's just, it's so key that we just need to check ourselves and realize that nobody's going to care that, you know, yes, they might, I might have a family that I've taught to live a purposeful life to their finances or their life, like doing life skill coaching with them and stuff and help them. But really, at the end of the day, is that who I define myself as? Or do I define myself the fact that I was at my one-year-old grandson's birthday party on Sunday, right? Holding him, watching him smash a cake and get cake all over himself. You know, I like that. I want them to remember the fact that I was there and I got pictures with people. And you know what I mean? It's We just have so much more that we can achieve in life besides being on that tombstone. Like you said, stockbroker, I did this. Yeah. And, and the things that, that happen, a lot of times you don't know that they're happening. I have a beautiful, beautiful example. My, my ex-husband had a, you know, still has obviously a, a son and he was uh, 12 years by the time I met him or 11. And it was very difficult because, you know, his, he, he had been abandoned by his mother and then my ex-husband raised him, which is something that I've always appreciated about him, that he did that despite, you know, his whatever alcoholism and his own demons that he was facing. And I kept when my daughter was born, even after the divorce, I was in touch with his side of the family because I wanted that to be available for my daughter. And so my when my daughter got married, uh, and I'm, you know, and I saw saw my stepson who technically isn't my stepson anymore. And he calls me mom. Wow. In the short amount of time in those couple of years that I was around, he says, you were the only one who's ever been even a mother figure. I consider you my mom. That wow. is powerful. That is, is. And you, that, and he, he fought me touching. to the T. That's touching. Wow. He's 40 and he calls me his mom. Yeah. And you know what? We never know that little, those little things add up and compound and surprise us, right? When they all of a sudden they, Talked. yeah, it is. That's why that's, that's wow. That's, that's good though, because at the end of the day, you've been a grounding plane for him, even something that's grounded him and you don't know, maybe he'll share, maybe he has shared, but it, it could have made a huge difference in, in his life. And it still does. Obviously it sounds like it. That's, that's great. And that's what I want too. just like I, you know, my oldest grandson lives, you know, playing right, playing right away, like 15 hours away if I had to drive to go see him. And he he told me something similar just recently when I seen him on the island to see his his uh, daughter, my great grandbaby. He says he said, Papa, you were the only person that ever was really there for me, and I'm always going to be grateful. Well, oh, I wow. just, I know, and and the, it this is really know. it. I think this is a great message to talk about. Is that we oftentimes 
have our own preconceived notions, Dwight, on what it must be like to be perfect. But that's not what resonates. What resonates is the mess, the imperfection, the argument, the no, you cannot go out at 10 o'clock at night. No, you cannot take the car. Uh, no, you know, you, 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 I'm not going to give you $400 for a pair of Air Jordans. It's the things that showed them that you cared enough to have an opinion about something that they did. And you think you're a bad parent. You're not a bad parent. It's the opposite of that. But you don't know that when you're going through it. And so I, looking looking at this now, very much like you, these moments are are gifts, absolute gifts that you get out of nowhere. Yeah, and great way to them. put it. It's a great way to put it, gifts. It is. And again, no matter what we believe, whether we believe we, we worship nature or we worship God, it, all of it's a gift. Everything that we get in our lives is a gift. It's like, what lenses are you looking through it at? Are you looking at it as on a negative way? Or are you looking at it the positive? And the positive way of looking at things is something, again, we talked about, you have to work at. It's not something, I have bad days. I'm human just like everybody else. But I have checks and balances that I've worked on. And as I get older, I want to share that with more people because maybe they don't have to wait till they're, you know, me at a certain age to learn it and they can learn it younger, right? Maybe I can make that impact and I might never know if I made that impact. I don't care, right? We just got to keep on you and I spreading the message and going out and changing the world. So this is fantastic. So we're going to go on to ask you some of the things that you're renowned for and the things that I really, really want to know. Um, obviously, in the future, I want to have the opportunity to have a conversation again and have you on because uh, there'll be things we won't get through today. And that's okay, because the rest of this was just Phenomenal. It was fantastic. I really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing with me. So, Beate, the word strategy is thrown around by so many of us. However, I honestly believe most people, like 95 or higher percent of the world, don't understand exactly what strategy is. They just use the word because it's, you know, it's that $20 university word or college word. You know, $20 right? university yeah, word. I yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, where people just don't get it. So can you do me a favor and explain what exactly is strategy and the types and what types of strategies are there? Yeah, so so this is like literally one of my favorite questions because I I either when you ask somebody that they get all serious and they tell you that there's a difference between strategies and tactics, and then they'll you know like go into the the, the granular piece of this, or they go and say, oh, marketing strategy, sales strategy, generation strategy, multiple strategies. So so let's just make this sort of super super simple. So I I want you to just imagine a triangle. And this triangle is is literally what all the pieces that you need to succeed. One is a strategy, two is a system, and three is the authority. So you you have to figure out where do I want to go. If I know where I want to go and I know where I am at, I have two points. That's enough in math. If I have two points, I can always figure out the third one. So I have these two points, where I want to go and where I am. With that, 
I can, <clears throat> pardon me, I can now reverse engineer the strategy, the plan, the strategy on how to get there. So I give you an example. I am on a podcast. This woman says, I'm launching my financial course. I said, how much is the course? She says, $5,000. said, okay, that's steep for an online course. If there's no one-on-one -on -one interaction, if it's strictly online. Well, it's very valuable. Okay. Why is it valuable? Well, because people need to know about finance. Do people want to know about finance? I don't care. They need to know about finance. I said, okay, so we're not sure if it's a product market fit. Who is your client? Everybody. Okay. How many of these do you want to sell? A million. I said, okay, so allow me to do the math. Because she told me where she's at. She's launching it. She says what she wants. She wants to sell a million of them. So I said to her, a typical landing page converts with ads at about 3%. In order to get a 3% conversion, you need to send traffic. So we now know that given the current algorithm, a lead on a cost, you anywhere between $3 if you're lucky and $50 if you're not so lucky, if you're in a, in a, in a big market. So if you want to sell a million, here's the math. In order just to get your 3% conversion of opt-ins, you're going to have to spend 97 times 1 million. Oh. I said, and then you still have to close it. So... The strategy is directly depending on what it is that you say you want. So that's that's what I do. I land planes in the simplest word. So you tell me what you want. We figure it out what you want. Then I help you devise the strategy so you can then land the planes. So this woman now would know that she needs an ad specialist, that she needs to figure out where she's going to get this kind of investment. She's going to need to do some product market testing. So Based on this short conversation, I already have a strategy that already has like 15 things on it that I know we need to be doing. Building the landing page, building the funnel, building the, the ad campaign, testing the ads, uh, you know, running all of this through. Just from this one thing, that's what I do, is I help people reverse engineer. The actual pieces that need to be done all together are the strategy. Strategy has tactics. Yes, it does. But that's irrelevant. The strategy is the plan on how I'm going to get there. That's yeah, I guess for some people it's a roadmap, right? It's there, yeah. it's no different than like you know, you talk about this woman wanting a course for five thousand dollars, everybody needs it. Well, it's just like I'm in finance myself. Do people need what I offer? Absolutely. Do I think that everybody needs it? No, not really. That would be that's naive for me to think that everybody would need what I offer, whether or not it's finance based or not. I have a specific niche or niche, however you want to pronounce it, of people that are going to fit what I'm into. And why would I want to go to that level? Like, that's great that the, her grandiose ideas of wanting to reach a million people. That's fantastic. But I bet you it, it put her into a tailspin. It had to have. It, it would she, be... she didn't want to hear it. She didn't want to hear it. 
I said, well, what's your plan to bring it to market? Well, I'm going to put it on social media. Well, when was the last time you did an Instagram post that got more than 10 likes? Uh, I the, said, al the algorithms kill us. The algorithms are all killing us. Yeah. And, and, and then the advent, I think we mentioned it earlier, it might have been before we started recording the advent of what Apple's done now, which I get why Apple's doing it, where you get to opt out of it so that they people and it killed Facebook marketing, it killed Instagram, it killed Google, it killed all these advertising. Um, I seen it happen with my own stuff. And I stopped doing doing a lot of it because it was just throwing money out the window. It goes back to that. You need to put boots to the ground. Podcasting is a great way to do it. Going to conferences, being on masterminds, networking with people, that one-on-one -on -one interaction, whether it's done virtually like this or it's done face-to-face, -face, is still always going to beat that marketing. Like you, like you said, 3%. 3% is like, you get to spend X amount of money to get that million. You're going to look 97 times like uh, and, and if it, it, I'm surprised it didn't wake her up because if she's a finance person, that should have been the first thing that meant, made her go, hmm. It does, <laughs> it does, it does, it does make you wonder a little bit. But but that just goes back to a lot of times people don't like this idea of strategy because it is soulless and it excludes the option of hoping and wishing. And hoping and wishing, a lot of people think, is actually a business strategy. It is not. Like, if I want to lose weight, I am actually going to have to get off my butt and physically do something. I have to change how I eat, what I eat, how I work out, how much I move. It may affect the way I I, I work because maybe now I need I need to add different things in there. If I want to be in a bodybuilding competition, I'm actually going to have to do bodybuilding. If I want to run a business, I'm going to actually have to do the things that are required to run a business. If I want to be successful in finance, I'm going to actually have to learn about finance. If I want to build a house, I'm going to have to get a brick and some cement and start yeah. building. And so people go like, well, I'm, I'm just going to do it. Well, how? Well, uh, I'm going to build it. And then what? How are you going to bring it to market? I don't know. How do you know people want it? Oh, they need it. Needing and wanting are two different things. When was the last time when your parents told you to go out with a really nice girl or a really nice man who has a good job that that excited you? It was the motorcycle person. The badass with a leather jacket, a little grungy around the edges. That's what's exciting. That's what we want. We may need somebody who has deep desire to take care of our every need and cater to us and love us unconditionally and be from a good family. But the reality of it is, yeah, you may figure out eventually that's what you want after you kiss enough frogs. But that doesn't prevent you from kissing some frogs in the meantime. Because they're a little bit more exciting. They could be a prince. Yeah, it's it's true. People people aren't willing to understand that their comfort has got them stuck. They need to get outside their comfort zone. They stick in that same routine, and you know, you know, glorifying or putting things on a pedestal, like you said, 
getting together with that badass. And next thing you know, we realized years later, you should have been with the person that wanted to fill your every desire. Society, though, really, at the end of the day, is at fault. And then we're at fault because we drink it, we drink the Kool-Aid, and we don't, we don't know where to go. And then when somebody tells them, like, you, this is what you need to do, we're in we're in denial, right? That river of denial happens so often. I get it every single day, right? When I'm talking, talking to people and, oh, I don't want to do this or I don't want to, you know, budget. Like, why would I want to budget? Well, let's see, you're X amount of money in debt. You don't know if you can pay for stuff next week. It's 31 days in this month. And now all of a sudden it's day 18 and you're broke. And you still have all these bills to pay and you have no strategy to get yourself out of debt, to save for retirement, to put little billiard, you know, Sally into their extracurricular activities. Oh, wait a minute. Or even self-care for yourself. Hmm. You know, sometimes I have to get, I do, I have to get blunt with people and sometimes it works and sometimes it's still like a deer caught in the headlights. They go on with their life. And, oh, then they get offensive. You know, yes. and then they get they, they get defensive. They go like, I know how to handle my money. I don't know what you're talking about. This this has worked really well for me. And you go like, well, I see like $25,000 in debt on, a, debt on a credit card and currently with a, what, 29% interest rate? That doesn't look so good to me. Uh, what exactly are you going to do? Because if you look at the fine print, it shows you that if you pay those $25,000 off at the rate you're going, you've paid $120,000. Is that what you said you wanted? Yeah, I don't know it, what you're talking about. Yeah, I it's so I'm very selective now too. my business has slowed down in, in a lot of ways intentionally because I'm very selective. I ask specific questions and if they if the answers aren't within a specific, uh, you know, thought process that I'm looking to hear. Right. Plus, I watch their body language because sometimes we can they, people can talk, talk, talk and not, you know, they're full of hot air. And I just, whatever, I disconnect myself. I don't want, I don't want projects anymore. I want working. I want people that are willing. They're not a project. They're willing to go through the school of hard knocks with me and learn about the finance game. And, you know, the fact of debt, like you mentioned, and really want to change because at the end of the day, it's back to that pace, Mm -hmm. right? It always goes back to that pace. It sure does. Right. So thanks for sharing that. One of the things I wanted to get into too, um, we're we're actually coming up on a on an hour already. We're definitely going to have to have a part two, but I want to ask you a couple more things, and then we'll wrap up the show. Um, so so many people experience, and I and the reason I want to talk to you about this is and get your take is the overwhelm on on the way to become that authoritative figure. And whatever we're so-called expert at, I experienced it myself in my own finance business as I built it over the last 21 years. And in some ways still do today, now that I'm building a personal brand that I started a few years ago, how does one get past that overwhelm that can sink them before they reach authority? Uh, It is setting priorities. I developed the concept that I talk about in my book, Happy Woman, Happy World, called Egorhythm. And... Egorhythm says that that there is a, a personal rhythm that we have. I've identified nine of them. One is transition, one is mother, one is career, one is tragedy. That at any given time, you need to know what your main egorhythm is. What is that rhythm that you're in and it changes? So if I am in, so my daughter just had a baby. The baby's three months old. She is in a mother egorhythm 
on whether she likes it or not. And it's going to take three years because it's going to take three years until this child starts to develop a sense of self. Until then, my daughter will be the main focus of everything. And that's just the way it is. So if she now wants to make her career her priority, she's already in friction because then she's in, in, in overwhelm mode because you can't have two main focuses in your life. It's only one. So if you make this your main focus, then everything else fall under, falls underneath of that. So overwhelm comes from when you are not clear what your main focus is. And the second thing is, is open loops. And the concept of open loops is something that I've been working with lately a lot. And the open loop is that, so I'm on a podcast, but I have to now leave for an appointment. After a podcast, there's a series of things that I need to do to close out this podcast, send my thank you note, you know, market is completed, tell my assistant when this podcast goes live. We have a whole process in place for that. Now, because I have to leave right away, I have an open loop because I can close this loop. So I'm going to have to somehow write that down and remember that. Then I had another podcast earlier and my complete my computer completely crashed. So I couldn't do my follow-up on that. So I have a second open loop already. And we're only a few hours in. So now I am having more and more open loops that I cannot close. That's what causes the overwhelm. So when you schedule or do your time management, you need to give yourself time to close loops. If you keep too many open loops open, they say, oh my God, I have to call, I have to do this, I have to, I have to follow up on the podcast, I have to respond to that email. You have to figure out a way on making time to close loops as quickly as possible. Don't keep them open. Or you get up, go to the bathroom before you finish that. Now, you finish it, then you go to the bathroom because then you're already distracted. You don't get your coffee. You finish it, then you get your coffee. You don't break in the middle for lunch. You finish it, then you get your lunch. So you don't have all these open loops. I love that. And the reason I smile for those watching, you see me smile is because I've had to develop that in my own life. I used to, oh, I'd get off a call or I'd be at a person's place and I get in the, in my vehicle and have to come home and think to myself, Oh, I get home. Oh, I'm going to take a break, do this and that. And then I'll get on to that. And something else will come up as a distraction. And I love how you put that. Now I've got an open loop and I've got to that point now and I'll be working on stuff. And prime examples last night, I was, it was about an hour and a half. I was just, I was researching you and I wanted to learn more about you. And I was watching some things on YouTube and I thought, you know, I should go do this. No, I got to finish this first, right? I got, close the <laughs> loop. Close yeah, the loop. I, I had to close the loop. So, and I, and I think about it. There's times I'm even sitting here that I have to go wash them. And I'll think, you know what? I can hold it. I got to finish this because I don't want to lose my train of thought. So it, it's so refreshing. I smile because there's so much commonality in what I've developed and do in my life and what you talk about. And, you know, you, you mentioned your book and that was actually a question I was going to ask, but again, we'll talk more about this. I, I, I want to talk to you about, you know, getting you on again sooner than later. Um, your book itself is focused on women, but I hear value so much value for men, right. Within that book structure, 
Would you concur with that? That a man like yeah, myself I mean, can I, learn I, so I literally, much from it? I have plenty of men who have read it, and the men who have read it call it the playbook of the other team because it is it, <laughs> that's it, a it, good it, way to put it. It is it is written in such a way that it makes sense. I also purposely did a soft cover. There's no hard cover for the book. I wrote the chapters so they're toilet session chapters. I like that. Yeah. Because I, get what I you mean. because I wanted women to leave them in the bathroom so that men then can grab this little book with the relatively short chapters and uh and potentially get some insight into that. And ever so often, you know, somebody then comes and says, I fully support you, which is like one of the, the things, the concepts in the book where I said, men need to stop saying, let me help you, but they just need to say, how can I support you with this? Because women don't necessarily need to be helped. We're not damsel in distresses, but if somebody offers their support, that sounds a lot more powerful. Well, men have to stop being fixers. You know, as a dad of five kids, um, four of them being daughters, and, and being that single 100% custody dad, I had to stop saying, let me help you. And I had to, it was a learned thing because, you know, it didn't happen overnight. And even now as adults, I'll, I'll let them figure out their challenges. And, and part of me is just like, okay, tell them what to do and tell you know what? I'm just like, shut up. I'm telling myself inside my head, shut I up. I know. Just give them, just say, I'm here for you. And I, one of my daughters, it was funny. She texts me yesterday and we were discussing something and i said you know what just let me know what you know how i can support you through what you're going through you know i'm not going to bring it up again until you know it becomes i hear or see something and i'll say well how can i support you just know that i'm always here for you and she and she responds basically like thanks dad i love you because i know that it's just a constant reminder to her that if it does become overwhelming, she can come to dad. But then even when she asks me right out, you know, what's your opinion? Sometimes it's, I got to, I bite the inside of my cheek. I got scarring in there <laughs> because I want them to figure out for themselves, you know, four daughters and, and how society is, it just poo-pooed them. It still happens today. My oldest daughter is 37. You know, it's just, it's terrible. It really is in, in what goes on. And and as a dad, being that fixer type of person, I've had to really learn how to just keep it inside, right? You Let know, sometimes what I say, I, I I just, when when I hear something, I I just said, you want me to punch him in the nose? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I, I don't know. I used to, I used to tell my daughters, and you know, my son obviously is a different, he's a different, unique individual, and I deal with him differently. My daughters really, though, are my world when it comes to get, wanting to give advice and protect him from the bad, mean men that are out there. But, you know, especially with all the stories I've got from 21 years in finance and of what women have gone through and and them as young girls trying to teach me about feminism and and women's empowerment and me trying to resist it because of the way I grew up and just the evolution I've actually when I look back at it and I think about it and talk about it like I am now I've enjoyed the journey having four daughters because that people what do they automatically say four daughters that must have been hell <laughs> you know oh it had its character building moments 
I guarantee it did. But, you know, they taught me so much. They have helped me evolve into a, a you know, into understanding my empath side, they, to human- my caring daughters side. Daughters are humanizing. Yeah. Oh, very much so. You know, and when I talk to them and, and and I spent time a few weeks ago out on the island for just shy of a week to see my one daughter who is a travel nurse. She's out working on Vancouver Island. And then I got to see my great granddaughter. And, and I just, I found a connection with that daughter that I had never discovered before. Right. And was it her or was it me? Well, it was a me issue. It was something that I just, instead of having that barrier mentally and emotionally, I dropped it and I truly heard and seen her. It was pretty, pretty good. So Viate, if you had to give our listeners one last closing message, what would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up? Uh, I would say you just got to let go of this perception of failures. The, idea of failure for me is that I want you to think about your car and you're driving and then you go in the car and the GPS says uh, new navigation updates available and you ignore them. And then you one day try to go the regular way and now there's construction, they're building that freeway. So now you can't go this way. So you're getting out of the car, you throw yourself on the ground right in front of the construction crew. You're going to go driving sucks. I'm the worst driver in the world. Driving will never happen for me. I'm going to sell this car. Insurance is too expensive. I hate the city. I hate asphalt. I hate tires. I hate steering wheels. It's it's just the worst. Because nobody ever. You get in that car. You look at the guy with the stop sign in his neon outfit and the reflective stripe and the hard hat. You wave at them. You give yourself a little smack on the head. Update the GPS next time. Sooner. And you find another way because, you know, Dwight's house that we are going to now is still there. That's how I want you to look at failure. I want you to think about this from the guy in the construction suit from here on forward. It just means it's this is not the way you excluding a path. So that way you can find the right one to get to the right house. No, that's a great closing message. I appreciate that. So many people, you know, like I, I, I think about light and the fact that light doesn't bend around a corner and around the corner could be your success and you let failure slow you down. You don't, you don't recheck yourself. You don't communicate with yourself. You don't talk to people that are your mentors that can help check you where you're at and reaffirm that you're on the right path and maybe reset it because maybe you're too weak at that point in time. Sometimes you get to a point in your life and you probably agree that you can recheck yourself. You don't need to have that mentor do it because you've gone through enough trials and tribulations that you know how to do it now. Now you need to just do it. And you know you need to do it and be self-aware. I always say those words and I know it irritates some people, but I need to be self-aware in order to understand that this isn't a failure. This is a stepping stone for me to recheck, reaffirm what it is. What's my why? What's my goal? Back to that strategies that we talked about, right? And there's just so many different things we can do that are really simplistic. They're not as difficult as people think. Think, pardon me. We just have to understand and be coachable to ourselves and to others to help us get to a point where we can 
really work our own magic. We don't need others to do it anymore, right? So thank you so much for this conversation. This has been phenomenal. I really appreciate it. So our time's up, but I want to respect our listeners and your time. However, before we end, can you please tell the listeners what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, so the best way really is uh, talk to me. Uh, reach out on uncoverysession.com and schedule a 15-minute complimentary session. Please make sure you mention this show so that we can give you priority treatment. And while we edit, please, wherever you pick up this show, will you go there now and give Dwight a five-star review? And most importantly, a comment, even if it's a green heart, which means that you've listened to this entire episode, but the algorithm picks up on engagement. That's what makes, makes the search engine put this in front of more people. It is a labor of love. Dwight loves you. Please do love him back and then share this episode with one other person that needs to hear what we were talking about today. I'm all over, offer under my name, Beata Chalette or The Growth Architect. Uh, check out my website, check out my podcast, The Business Growth Architect Show. Take the Growth Blocker Quiz at growthblockerquiz.com to figure out if there's a is a if there's a growth blocker in your business that you need. But uh, I love it when you drop into my DM and tell me what you're taking away from this episode. That's awesome. Thank you so much for the um, that information. And I'll make sure that in the show notes, everything that you've mentioned is in there. For the new listeners or viewers, go to giveaheck.com, go into the podcast part of the, of the site in the portal, and you will see a picture of, uh, you know, Beate. And you can literally, below that, you'll see all the links to her social media and how to access the information she talked about thank you so much for asking the listeners to leave a comment you know that's that's awesome i think i've only had that happen one other time in 164 episodes so i appreciate your uh you know yeah your support thank you so much any last words before i wrap up the show i think that we we spoke a lot about uh, self-awareness and about about personal development today and I think that where I want to leave it as no matter what happens in your life, always ask, what's the truth in this? Because if it's not true, you don't need to be upset about it. Yeah, that's, that is so, that is true. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that because so, really so many people look at the facade of life and they don't look for the truth, right? They don't, they don't get it. So thank you so much for being on give a heck, Beate. I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so that others too can learn it is never too late to give a heck. Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to give a heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com. And until next time, together let us all strive to give a heck.